Please be seated. And could you, could you please keep your Bibles open uh, at that passage on page 1011, uh, Mark chapter 12, uh, beginning from verse 18. Uh, and if you go to the uh, bulletin you received as you came in, uh, if you could look in the uh, uh, center page of the bulletin, the center page of the bulletin, uh, you'll see there an outline uh, of the sermon. So it would be helpful to have that open in front of you as well. So if you open the sermon outline in the center page of the bulletin, uh, and if you open Mark chapter 12, beginning from verse 18, I will lead us in prayer. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And we thank you that you are the God who has revealed yourself perfectly and clearly in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you that you are the God who speaks to us. You've spoken to us, to us in, in your Son, uh, and you continue to speak to us by your Spirit through your Word. And so we pray now that as we, as we think about this Word together, uh, as we consider uh, what the Lord Jesus has taught us, uh, we pray that your Spirit would be at work among us. And we pray that he will enable me to teach your word clearly and faithfully and in his strength. We pray that he'll be working in each one of our hearts, uh, pointing us to Jesus, uh, enabling us to understand the scriptures and the power of God, and thus enabling us to give Jesus his rightful place in our lives. So work among us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever noticed that when you watch the fighting scenes in the movies, the villains tend to come to attack the hero one at a time? Right? It's very nice of them, lah. Right? They come one by one, right? So the hero will fight one enemy, and then as soon as he's vanquished him, suddenly from the other side, the next enemy will come. Then you defeat this guy, and then thaw, the next guy comes, right? One by one, until finally they're all defeated, and the hero is left victorious. Well, it's a little bit like this in this part of Mark's gospel. Uh, here in chapters 12 and 13, we are in the week leading up to Jesus' crucifixion. And this is where we'll remain uh, on Sundays throughout this Lenten season. So we look forward uh, to seeing Jesus' death and then his resurrection. Jesus is now in Jerusalem. He's upset the Jewish leadership by clearing the traders from the temple. He has spoken clearly against the, the leaders, and they want to get rid of him. We saw last week how the Pharisees and the Herodians, they conspired together to try and trap him into saying things that will get him into big trouble with the Romans. And instead, he used their own question to make a point that convicted them. But today we see, after the Pharisees and Herodians have been defeated, now the Sadducees come to attack. And the Sadducees, well, they were another religious group within Judaism. They weren't a very big group, but they were influential beyond their numbers. For the high priest and all his associates were Sadducees. Now, the important thing here, though, about the Sadducees that Mark specifically tells us is in verse 18. He says, 
The, sorry, the Sadducees came to Jesus, and what about the Sadducees? They say there is no resurrection. The Sadducees say there is no resurrection. Now, if you take a step back and you think about the teaching of the whole Bible, we see that the Bible teaches that, that there will be a resurrection at the end of the age, that those who die belonging to Christ will be with him, which is better by far than being here, They'll be with him in spirit, and then at the end, God will bring them back and raise them from the dead. There's a resurrection at the end of the age. But the Sadducees, they don't believe in the resurrection. They believe that this life is all there is. They believe that, that when you die, well, you're just extinguished and, and annihilated. Right, that's why they were sad, you see. But Jesus, like many other Jews, believed in the resurrection. And so when the Sadducees decided to attack Jesus, they, they tried to do it by showing that the position he holds is, is ridiculous. They want to make him look silly, that, that he doesn't know what he's talking about. Or worse, make it out that his position is contradictory to the Old Testament law. And both ways, they will weaken his position as a teacher among the people. And so they come to Jesus, and they say this in verse 19. They say, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but leaves no child, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now, that's actually right. Now, that's what the law says in the book of Deuteronomy. The Sadducees are now going to make up a story to show that the resurrection is not compatible with this law. And here's a silly story they come up with in verse 20. Well, there were seven brothers, and the first one took a wife, and then he died, leaving no offspring. And so, therefore, the second one took her. But then he died, leaving no offspring. And so the third one took her. And then he died. And then the fourth one got very, very anxious. But it kept on happening. All the way up to the seven. One by one, they all died. And then finally, well, verse 22, last of all, the woman also died. Oh, isn't this a tragic story? But then, here's the question. Verse 23. In the resurrection, when they rise again, whose wife will she be? For the seven had her as wife. <laughs> gotcha, Jesus, they say. Gotcha. Whose wife is she going to be now? Huh? Or maybe she'll live with brother number one on Sunday, brother number two on Monday, brother number three on Tuesday. But it can't do that. That'll be adultery. This is ridiculous, isn't it? This whole resurrection thing is ridiculous. Imagine the confusion that will reign. And, 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 and how can... You believe in the resurrection, but this is just a ludicrous doctrine. And it doesn't work with the law. So Jesus, who's the wife? Bet you can't answer the question. So how does the Lord respond to this Sadducee attack? Well, we notice that he starts and ends his response in the same way, by telling them that they are wrong. Uh, the word there can also be misled or deceived. He uses this word to describe them in verse 24, the beginning of his answer, 
and again at the end of verse 27, at the end of his answer. He wants to make it very clear that they are wrong. There is a right teaching about the resurrection, and there is a wrong teaching about the resurrection, and the Sadducees have the wrong one. Sometimes we're a little bit reluctant, aren't we, to say other people are wrong, right? Because we're really nice, lah. Huh? We don't want to, we, we want everyone to be right. But some things, well, it can't be like that. Either there's a resurrection or there isn't a resurrection. The Sadducee says there won't be, and Jesus says they are wrong. They are deceived. And Jesus tells them why. He says in verse 24, Is this not the reason you are wrong? Because you know neither the Scriptures nor the power of God. You are wrong because you don't know the Scriptures or the power of God. Now, Jesus is talking here to the Sadducees. And these Sadducees, are, they're pretty expert in the Scriptures. And yet Jesus says they don't know the Scriptures. He could, probably be, he could be referring to one of two things, probably both. The first thing is that, well, they had a truncated Bible, didn't they? Now, of course, the Old Testament was the only part of the Bible written at that time. They didn't have the New, but, but they had a truncated version of the Old Testament. Uh, the rest of the Jews, including Jesus himself, believed the whole Old Testament was the Word of God. But the Sadducees only believed in the first five books of the Old Testament. But you see, God had been revealing himself to the human race slowly, step by step, in an unfolding way, culminating now in this perfect revelation of himself and his Son. He hadn't said everything about everything right at the beginning. There was always hints of what was to come, but there, there, were, always, there were many things that, were, that hadn't been revealed plainly until, until the proper groundwork had been done, the framework set, the, 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 the pattern established step by step in the building of the picture. The resurrection is one of those things. The Old Testament does teach the resurrection in a very, very clear way. You only have to look at Daniel chapter 12, verse 2 to see that. Let me read it to you. And many who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting content. Couldn't get clearer. But that is later in the Old Testament. In the Pentateuch, in those first five books that the Sadducees re recognized, that, that revelation was there, but it was in seed form. And, and one of the reasons why the Sadducees missed out on this doctrine was essentially because they had a truncated Bible. They did not know the Scriptures. And friends, we mustn't keep a truncated Bible we need to believe and accept the whole counsel of God. We cannot pick and choose which bits we like. Now, if we were to truncate the Scriptures, I'm sure we'd do it a little bit differently from the Sadducees, wouldn't we? We wouldn't say, okay, I think these books I'll take and these books I don't take. We'll probably do it a little bit. I'll tell you what we'd probably do we'd probably just ignore the bits that we don't like. 
That's part of the reason why here at St. Mary's, our main Bible reading and our sermons work sequentially through a book of Scripture. We don't want to give ourselves the excuse not to preach about something or not to hear about it because we don't find it comfortable. No, 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 no. We work systematically through the Bible, balancing our preaching from Old Testament, Gospel, and Epistle. And whatever we are up to that week, that is what we preach, whether we like it or not. Otherwise, the temptation would be to truncate. To just read and preach from our favorite passages and over and over again, things we like to hear. Or even to use one of the standard systems of Bible reading, which only allow a certain type of passage to be read in church. And the more controversial parts of the Bible are never read on Sundays. And so God's Word is never heard in His church on these matters. That would be to truncate the Scriptures, wouldn't it? We'd be doing it in a more subtle way than the Sadducees, but it'll still be a truncation. Sadducees were wrong because they did not know the Scriptures. But the second reason why Jesus can say the Sadducees didn't know the Scriptures is, well, they failed to see Jesus in them. Another part of of the New Testament in John's Gospel, Jesus debates with the Jews and he says, look, you you look at all the, you look at the Scriptures, you search the Scriptures because you, you think that in them you have eternal life, you have eternal life, but they speak of me. He said, Moses was talking about me. And you see, the Old Testament is full, full, full of prophecies about Jesus. Even if you only have the first five books like the Sadducees, you still have Jesus there. Jesus is the seed of the woman promised in Genesis 3, the one who will crush the serpent's head and yet his own head gets crushed in the process. His salvation is, and judgment is foreshadowed in the flood of Genesis 6 to 9. He's the promised seed of Abraham in Genesis 12. He's the one who is both God and man who struggles with Jacob in Genesis 32. His suffering and salvation is foreshadowed by the experience of Joseph in Genesis 37 to 50. He's the promised ruler from Judah in Genesis 49. The Passover lamb of Exodus 12 points to him. He's a better mediator than Moses of Exodus 32. The tabernacle of Exodus 35 to 40 points to his tabernacling or dwelling among us. The priests and the sacrifices of Leviticus point to his once and for all sacrifice on the cross for our sins. The bronze snake of numbers which was lifted up on a pole so the people could could see it and and, and be healed by looking at it foreshadows the fact that Jesus will be lifted up on the cross and that we are saved by trusting in him. He's the prophet like Moses that, that Moses said in Deuteronomy, God will one day send to his people and you must listen to him. And there are many, many, many more references throughout these first five books of the Bible about Jesus. This is just a sample. But the Sadducees, they cannot see this. They will not see this. All they can see are laws. And they think they know the scriptures that they have. But they don't really. Brothers and sisters, there are many moral lessons we can learn from the Old Testament like the Sadducees did. There are many, many examples for us to follow and warnings for us to heed. But if all we get out of the Old Testament is moralism, then like the Sadducees, we are missing the point. The Old Testament points to Christ. And when we know Jesus, then we know the fulfillment of the Old Testament.
And so whenever I or, or any of our preachers stands here to preach from the Old Testament, our main job as a Christian preacher is to preach Christ and his gospel from the Old Testament passage. And if we don't do that, we have not properly preached the Old Testament. The Sadducees not only have a truncated Old Testament, they've missed the most important dimension to it. They've missed Jesus. Jesus said that they did not know the Scriptures and they did not know the power of God. They did not know the power of God. That word power that, that Jesus used, he was used back in Deuteronomy, part of the Bible they did accept, when describing the mighty deeds that God did when, when rescuing his people out of Egypt. There was God's power seen in those signs and wonders, those amazing signs and wonders associated with this major salvation event. And now we have Jesus performing great miracles among them. The blind can see, the deaf can hear, the lame can walk, the dumb can speak. Crowds and crowds of people have been brought to Jesus up north and he's healed them all. Like a modern day equivalent would be like if Jesus walks through the, the GH and all the patients, even the ones in ICU, suddenly get up and smiling and walking home. The Sadducees should at least consider these signs and wonders that Jesus was doing and said, look, We've never seen anything like this. We've never seen anything as great as this since, since God rescued our forefathers from Egypt 1,500 years before. Something must be happening. But they don't, and they won't. They neither know the Scriptures nor the power of God, and they do not believe, they will not believe in Jesus. And you know, Jesus has every right to end the conversation right there. He could say, you are deceived, you are misled, you are wrong because you do not know the Scriptures, you do not know the power of God. Please change your attitude and I'll talk to you again. But he doesn't. He is so gracious to the Sadducees that, that he actually gives them the answer to the puzzle that they're asking. He does so by giving fresh information about the resurrection that they otherwise wouldn't have known. And with that one new piece of information, the, the whole problem that the story raises is solved. For Jesus tells them in verse 25, when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage. When they rise from the dead, they don't marry and they're not given in marriage. In other words, there is no marriage after the resurrection. So there is no problem. Suddenly all the problem is gone. Now the fact that there is no marriage after the resurrection may be a disappointment for some people. It may be a relief for others. But as we read in the New Testament, we see there's no need for marriage because 
Well, on the one hand, there's perfect relationship between God and his people and between all of God's people. But even more importantly, there's no need for marriage because the reality to which marriage has been pointing would have been fulfilled. You see, again, take a step back and you see God's big plan for marriage in the whole of Scripture. And when we do that, we see that actually marriage is given by God to picture the relationship between Christ and His church. That is the real marriage. And marriage, as, as, as great as it can be, is something that God has given us here to point us to that, to help us see something of that. It is a shadow of that final reality. Marriage points to the real marriage, which is far, far better. When the church, that's all of us to consider together as a body, is joined to Christ, the bridegroom, in an ultimate, intimate relationship that lasts forever. At the resurrection, we attain this greater thing. And so the, the shadow is needed no more. Don't be disappointed when you lose the shadow. Oh, the reality is so, so, so much better. That is why there is no marriage after the resurrection. That is why our marriage vows are, till death do us part, isn't it? Still death to us part. Sometimes I see well, wedding cards and, and things that talk about people being joined together for eternity, an eternal union or something like that. Uh, if that was yours, I'm sorry, I, I, I don't remember any on the particulars. Um, but can I say, that's not right. right. Don't put that on your wedding card. Don't put it on your, your children's wedding card either. Because marriage is not an eternal union. Marriage is a lifelong union. It's meant to be a lifelong union, not an eternal one. The eternal, eternal union is Christ and his church. Our unions are lifelong and point to that eternal one. There is no marriage after the resurrection. So there we have that missing piece of information that makes sense of, of the whole thing. And so the silly Sadducee story doesn't disprove the resurrection after all. And it doesn't make it go against the law after all. But unless Jesus had told the Sadducees that information, they wouldn't have known about it. And neither would we. we, could, we when we step back and we look at the whole Bible's teaching and how it's for, marriage is fulfilled in the, in the new creation by, the, by the, um, uh, the marriage of Christ in the church, well, we might guess that that's the case. But we wouldn't know for sure. But here, Jesus gives it to us. Brothers and sisters, what do you do when you think of something in the Bible that puzzles you? What do you do when someone asks you a question that you really can't answer? Now, of course, it's good to, to search the Scriptures, isn't it, to try and work it out. And if you can't, then to ask other people and try and find out. And, but what if you can't work it out? What do you do then? Well, Sadducees would take the puzzle and say, ah, see, that proves it's all rubbish anyway. But those who know the Scriptures and the power of God, those who know Jesus, will say, that's okay. There will always be puzzles. 
there'll always be things that we can't work out because we, we don't have all the bits of information. God hasn't told us everything. Maybe it's like having a 500-piece jigsaw puzzle and you've got 100 pieces and you're not going to start push everything to fit together, isn't it? God has told us everything we need to know. And like this puzzle was solved by just one more piece of information that, that Jesus gave, so will all the puzzles that trouble us now. If we know the Scriptures and the power of God, if we know that Jesus is Lord, yes, there will still be things we don't understand, but we will be able to trust him with these things. And unlike the Sadducees, we won't be looking to wrongfully use these things against him as an excuse for failing to give him his proper place in our lives. Well, with this, uh, Jesus has made his point. His defense is complete. He's answered the, 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 the puzzle. The, the, the Sadducees' argument has collapsed. And, and, well, he could just leave it there, but he doesn't. He adds something at the end of verse 25. Uh, he says, They neither married nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And so now we realize that angels also got no marriage. Why does Jesus have to add this little bit on the end? Well, I suspect it's because angels are another thing that the Sadducees don't believe in. And so by bringing that up, he's not only affirming what he's saying about the resurrection, and he's saying that they are wrong there, he's also highlighting the fact that they are wrong about angels. Something else there. The attack on the resurrection, he comes back not only on that, but on Scripture and on angels as well. And then he goes on the offensive. He launches, he launches the, the counterattack on the resurrection. Verse 26. And as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses? Now, of course, they've read, but have you not read in the book of Moses? In the passage about the bush, how God spoke to him. Well, that was our Old Testament reading today, wasn't it? Well, God appeared to, to, to Moses in the burning bush. And, and what did he say? He said, verse 26, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. God introduces himself as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That, that's who he is. That's his identity. But you know, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they lived hundreds of years before Moses' time, which means they were dead by the time God spoke this, and yet God still calls himself the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He's happy to be known as, as their God, which means as far as God is concerned, he still has relationship with them. He still has relationship with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is their God. They are his people. Their bodies may be dead in the grave, but as far as their God is concerned, they are not extinguished. They're in relationship with him. Death. Death changes everything, doesn't it, brothers and sisters? Even marriage we've seen. But the one thing it doesn't change, the one thing it doesn't change 
is our relationship with God. If you know God and are known by God, if God is your God, no matter what happens to your body, spiritually you are alive because you are known by God. You're in relationship with him. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are dead in the body, but in spirit they are alive and well in the presence of God. And Jesus says in verse 27, he is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are quite wrong. The Sadducees did not know the Scriptures. They did not know the power of God. And they were exposed by Jesus. What about us? Do we know the Scriptures? Do we know that the whole Bible speaks of Christ? And do we believe what it says? Do we realize that, that we are sinners, that we need a Savior, that Jesus came to save us? Do we believe that he died on the cross to pay the price of our sins and that we need to come to him and trust in him to be forgiven? And do we know the power of God? The power that's not only seen in those signs and wonders that Jesus performed, but, but in the greatest sign of all. His resurrection from the dead. That's where you see the power of God greatly, isn't it? And do we realize that that same power is at work in all who trust in Jesus to raise them from the death of sin to the new life in Christ? Do you know the Scriptures and the power of God? For if you know the Scriptures and the power of God, then, then you will not make the same mistake as the Sadducees. You will trust that even if death changes everything else, it will not change your relationship with God. You lose your possessions, you lose your marriage, you even lose your body. But you do not lose your relationship with God. And being with God is better by far. And the day will come when God will raise you from the dead and give you your inheritance in glory that far surpasses everything, everything in this world. If you know the Scriptures and the power of God, you will believe that just as Jesus was raised, you and I will be raised on that last day there will be a final resurrection of the body. And after that resurrection, there will be the final judgment. And Jesus, the risen Jesus, will be the judge on that day. So instead of trying to ridicule him like the Sadducees did, you will, even today, fall on your knees and worship him as your Lord. Friends, there are many things that we can get wrong, which doesn't matter. But on this thing, we mustn't be wrong. For this is a matter of life and death. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us your word in the scriptures that so clearly point to your Son. Thank you that you have raised him from the dead. And by your mighty power, you have shown for certain that death is not the end. May we be people who know the scriptures and know your power and trust your son. Thank you that those who belong to Jesus are with him when they die. And even though we are physically dead, you are still our God. We are still your people. And so in you we live. And we thank you that we will be raised on that last day. And so we pray that all of us here would, would be people who respond rightly to Jesus. May we love him and honor him and give him his rightful place in our lives. And may we trust you with the things that we don't understand, with our puzzles and our doubts, knowing that, that you are wise and that you are sovereign and that all will be revealed at the right time. So keep us, we pray, trusting in your Son, and raise us, we pray, on that last day. We ask this in Jesus' name.